Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Our guest today on Creativity in Play is cultural anthropologist and writer Mary Catherine Bateson. Her work focuses on how people's lives unfold, how we learn, the role of creativity and improvisation in work, and the role that wisdom plays in society. She has taught at Harvard University, George Mason University, Amherst College, and Spelman College, as well as abroad in the Philippines and in Iran. She is the author of several books, including Composing a Life and a Memoir About Herself and Her Parents with a Daughter's Eye, a memoir of Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson. Her new book is Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. Many of the themes Catherine talks about will be featured at the Creativity World Forum in Oklahoma City in November. Catherine Bateson, it's great to talk to you again. It's good to be back in touch with you, Steve. Thanks. Well, your work in several of your books and and teaching has looked at the lives of individuals to help the rest of us think about how to live creative, imaginative lives that are purposeful and meaningful. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how we might actually do that. Well, you know, I've come to think of the, the way we live our lives as itself the process of creating a work of art. And that's why I use the word composing when I talk about how people move through their lives uh, as we respond to what comes to hand and to changes in the environment as we combine multiple commitments and sometimes shift gears or go into a different tempo. Um, that in some sense, individuals are making up their lives as they might make up a story, uh, seeking for balance and grace in that story. And I think creativity comes up in many different ways. Some people, I guess, still believe that they can live their lives according to a fixed plan or a culturally given script. Uh, Some people are governed by stereotypes. But other people think creatively about each of their choices, and what they do is more like an improvisational art form. Well, Catherine, can you tell us from your own experience how you're interests have changed over the years and how improvisation played into perhaps one of your changes has happened over time? Well, you know, I started thinking about improvisation um, when I started thinking about the problems that women have in their lives uh, if they are responsive to the changes in the lives of spouses, for instance, or the birth of children. Um, Many women live lives that feel very much interrupted. And, of course, in my generation, with new wave feminism, we were rejecting stereotypes about how we should live our lives and trying to think of new ways of understanding uh, women's roles. And in that sense, we were pioneers. 
And so we were in the situation of being on stage without a script, having to improvise the part that we would play on that stage. More recently, I've realized that many people, many adults, come up on age 60 or 70 rather surprised at their relative health and energy because we've had a real gift of unanticipated longevity that creates a new life stage before old age that I call adulthood too. So those of us who are now in that stage, and for some people it starts fairly early, for instance, for adult, for, excuse me, athletes. Uh, for other people, they just go on doing the same thing until they fall apart. Uh, but for many people, there comes a moment of transition when you wonder, what will I do next? I finished that career. How can I contribute? Who am I becoming? Am I the same person I've always been? And it's a moment of of great freedom and great potential. Now, I don't agree with people who say that you just reinvent yourself. Mm. But as I'm sure you have discussed on this program before, so much that we call invention has to do with finding a creative way to recombine things that are already known or in existence. So that when the automobile was invented, uh, people put the, uh, first of all, they had the notion of an engine, uh, but they put the horse, they put the engine in the place that the horse used to occupy in front of a carriage, building on a, a previous model. So people don't reinvent themselves. What they do is they look over their lives, think about what their lives have meant, what they would like to balance, complete, focus on, recapture, in order to use creatively this unanticipated time of relative health and longevity. Thank you. I wonder how the sense of unknowing or not knowing what you're going to do next plays into all of what you just said about refocusing and recapturing. And, and picking up on that, as, as I recall, Catherine, you've done work with some um, government employees, both, I think, looking at their own lives as well as institutionally and organizationally, how, how, do, how do they look at the the shifting change of, of losing older workers, but perhaps retaining them in new and different ways. Um, can you sort of pull that into the conversation as a, as a particular example of of what this looks like in a particular organization setting? Well, one of the things that's coming up at the moment is because we have conventions about when people think about retirement when Social Security begins and so on and so forth, uh, some organizations find themselves at risk of losing essential senior people 
in large numbers all at the same time. Uh, and this has come about particularly in organizations that were started fairly recently. Uh, an example would be NASA. When NASA was started, everybody was young. And now they're all getting older at the same time and need to segue into an organizational structure in which there are always young people coming in, uh, people present from every stage of the organization who carry the history in their memories, and a conversation that benefits from the diversity of ages. Uh, I think any kind of diversity is helpful in spurring creativity and solving problems. So organizations have been trying to uh, find models that will allow them uh, to extend the period over which people transition out, if that's what they choose to do, or stay in the workplace longer, uh, perhaps with a redefinition of their uh, responsibilities that will come as a new and stimulating challenge for them. So in general, we're, we're having to, to rethink the dialogue that has always been part of human culture uh, between different age groups. Uh, with both innovation and conservation being important themes. Well, Catherine, what are some, in that light, what are some creative and playful ways that you encourage those of us over 50 that claim our voice and move that out into the world? Well, first of all, I think the best way to make the world listen to you is to be continuing to learn and have fun learning. That is, I think the joy of learning is a critical part of playing a role in the world. Uh, at the moment, I think a problem in our society is that adults are overloaded. Um, Women uh, are working double shifts, raising children and trying, holding down a job or pursuing a career. Uh, men are concerned about the stability of their jobs and employment. Uh, everybody's working a bit too hard to think much about the future. And I think we as a society have been making a great many short-term decisions, decisions about the next quarterly report of the corporation or decisions about uh, the next uh, round of elections, decisions about the next possible promotion. And one of the things that I would like to see develop is older people turning around and saying, we want to be advocates for the future. Uh, you know, 
I've I've had the experience of talking to someone about the 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 dangers of climate change that lie ahead and the the humanitarian emergencies they're going to be and have them answer but I won't be here for that. Well, I think it's precisely for the future that we won't be here for that I want to work for longer range and more thoughtful decisions based on thinking about the next generation and the generation after that. A lot of your work has focused on this connection of the intergenerations, and it is a theme that your mother's work also picked up on that I, I have certainly looked at and brought into my own work around creativity and aging. And I'm I'm wondering if you can pick up on some of the work that you've done with um, really around the, the political process of how do we engage people, sometimes driven by elders, but with the goal that it isn't just their responsibility, that it is all of ours, and, and how to engage that intergenerational um, action, really, in society around thinking ahead and, you know, helping young people think about the future that they may or may not be a part of in their learning process, but ultimately, for all of us, how does it engage us now in doing something um, that matters for everybody? Well, you know, I think there are two essential steps to think about. Um, The first step is a step that has been important in all of the liberation movements of the 20th century. If you think of the civil rights movement, African Americans had to begin to free themselves from internalized oppression and understand that they would be able to work for a more just society and believe that they could succeed. Uh, In the women's movement, women had to get rid of stereotypes of how good girls behave and how good women, good wives behave that told them what they were supposed to want and had to begin to imagine something different. And I think as we get older, we may be weighed down by stereotypes about aging that are now out of date, that we incorporated 40, 50 years ago. You know, I hear people say, I'm 70 or 80 or 60, but I don't feel that age. And what that means is they have a model in their head of how they're supposed to be feeling, and it doesn't match. So the first thing that needs to happen is a kind of shift of consciousness where we realize the extraordinary freedom and resources and potential wisdom uh, of people who are younger than they expected to be, looking at the calendar. Once we realize that, then we have to find ways to act in society. Um, Some people may want to go to the Internet and check out a website 
with the address www.grannyvoter.org, which was basically formed by a group that wanted to start a national movement of people in adulthood, too, who would act as trustees for today's and tomorrow's children, trustee voters lobbying for the sake of the future. And I think to get something like that going is going to involve creating small groups of people across the country really looking at themselves, looking at the stereotypes of ageism that they may have internalized, liberating themselves from those stereotypes, and then speaking up and bringing pressure on politicians who incidentally, when they speak to older Americans, speak entirely in stereotypes, as if anyone over 50 cared about nothing except Social Security, Medicare, and prescription health benefits. I, for one, those things are wonderful programs. I care about them. And I care that they should exist for my grandchildren when they grow up, maybe be improved. But I care in a much larger sense about the future, about the way we care for the environment now, about working for peace now so that we won't have built up enmities that will land on future generations. Preserving rights, preserving opportunities in our society and around the world. One of the things that's been observed about people as they grow older is that not only does their perception of time become longer and deeper, potentially, but also their concern becomes broader and more inclusive, more global and less local. Well, you mentioned uh, grandchildren, and I read a post about your helping your grandchild find gardener snake and touching the gardener snake and finding that or hoping to find that snakes are not slimy, that they're colorful and their textures are wonderful. So I wonder if you could um, talk about a little bit about your personal connection with nature and ways you found to introduce the natural world to young people and, and help us um, reclaim the natural world in our busy lives? Well, my my father grew up in a household uh, where everybody was engaged with, with natural history, really with what we call ecology now. Uh, his, his father uh, was a distinguished geneticist, and the three sons, you know, spent their time learning to identify plants, butterflies, moths, insects, everything that they could find outdoors, making collections, uh, and looking at the way different species have evolved to live together in a, a given ecosystem. 
so when I was a child, uh, that was the theme from very early on, looking at a beetle and letting it go or catching a garter snake, seeing what it felt like, letting it go, uh, walking through the woods and and pointing out the connections between things, you know, where particular kinds of mushrooms grow. Um, and the interesting thing, really, it's not, it's not about having pets. It's about um, seeing creatures in their natural environment, going close to them, looking at them, thinking about their interactions, learning to think in systemic terms. So we have, with my grandsons, um, we, we go for walks in the woods, and, and we, they're still very interested in, in newts and frogs and um, uh, things that move. But it's a chance to talk about the fact that all of these different species survive because of the other species around them, because of the relationships around them. So sometimes we catch things and bring them back, but we always let them go. Or if we turn over uh, a log uh, to see what's going underneath it, we put it back. Uh, so you learn both to be a good observer and to respect the natural pattern. In one of your books, um, Peripheral Vision, you talked about what what happens at the edges and how do we see that incorporate that into our lives. And I'm wondering what you see happening at the edges right now in your life, in the world, and what you think we should be paying attention to and bringing into focus. And I know we've probably touched on a few of those already. Well, I suppose I'm becoming more and more interested in the question of how we can communicate and establish difference, uh, establish communication and understanding across differences. Seems to me I've been thinking about that for much of my life. Um, early on, I did a study of communication between mothers and infants just two or three months old, and watched how in playfully vocalizing back and forth, they could establish something that looked like a conversation, even though they didn't have a language in common. Uh, right now, I'm very much concerned with relationships uh, between uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, which we tend to see as terribly different. But, of course, all three of these great faiths have developed in the same tradition, and it's a matter of learning how to perceive each other and learning how to communicate. 
So as an anthropologist, I'm interested in communicating across differences of language, culture, religion. I'm also interested in communication between age groups and across generations. Uh, when I was when I was a young academic, I called this interest uh, uh, interactions between participants with disparate codes. Um, now that I'm older and wiser, I call the topic love across difference. Well, on your website, there is the quote, we are not what we know, but what we're willing to learn. So I wonder what you have to say about that quote as we wind up our interview time. Well, you know, I have really come to equate learning, continuing learning with living. That that to me is what it is to be alive. Um, and sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, but the point is, that that is an essential part of humanness, that we're not simply behaving in automatic ways determined by innate instincts, but looking at the environment, taking in what's happening, responding to it in different ways. So there's a kind of state of mind, a readiness to learn, that I think is something... I don't know. It's a way of living. I don't know how better to put it. To simply, anyone I meet, to assume that that person has something to teach me. And any place I go, to assume that by looking around, looking for pattern, paying attention, I will be learning something about another way of being human. Another way in which human beings make meaning and get along with one another. So it's something to be said, I think, for just getting up in the morning and wondering, what will the world teach me today? Thank you, Catherine. In the remaining minute or so, will you just give us a little overview of your latest book, again, Composing a Further Life, and, and the themes of active wisdom that you're talking about in that. Well, Composing a Further Life uh, uses the metaphor of composing lives as an art form uh, to look at pe what people do with this period of unanticipated longevity. And the way I have been studying that is by doing extended interviews with a fairly small group of people who seem to me to be living creatively uh, into this period of adulthood, too. And I do a whole life story interview with them because I think when you're improvising, as we all are, you're always building and selecting from experience. Uh, that's half the secret of improvising. 
the other half of improvising is paying attention to what's going on around you and listening to what other people are saying. So combining those two allow us to create lives. And it's not a how-to book. Uh, I can't tell people what to do in adulthood too, except to suggest that they consider what they've done over the course of their lives and reflect on what really matters to them that would feel like a completion and a contribution to be made in this period of time. So the book is really based on the experience of about a dozen people. They're pretty disparate. They've made different choices. Uh, They range from um, a man who went into the Navy from high school and spent his life as a boatyard worker uh, making engine parts and has now become a maker of, of fine jewelry using his knowledge of working with metals and making molds and so on uh, to make much smaller and more delicate products. It includes Jane Fonda, uh, who was a passionate activist and, of course, a great actress and continues to act and is working uh, with issues of teenage pregnancy with adolescent girls and very much engaged in spiritual search. Uh, It includes a a couple, two scientists. Catherine, we're at the end. I thank you for the interview very much. This is Mary Catherine Bateson, author of Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. And you can listen to the show again at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Oslong. Thank you for joining us. For joining us. Thank you, Catherine. Sorry at the end there. The tight time. Sorry, I was watching my watch, but I went over. Well, and none of the none of the times match exactly what they they say on the phone, and what's ticking down on mine is about thirty seconds difference, I think. So, mm-hmm. always a tight tight end, but that's okay. But thank you very much for for sharing this, and I uh, again I'll send out the info to you for the link to the archive because um, again you um, pretty much in every case the the listening after the live one is is always a lot greater than the live one. And um, so that will sort of grow as time goes on. And, and the other thing is every time we do a new interview, it draws people to the site where the archive is to listen to other stuff further. So it's sort of a kind of perpetual cycle here. Okay, of getting it accumulates. That's to good. Steve, yep. uh, one thing I would request, put yep. in your email to me that I have that uh, my publisher may use excerpts? Okay. Okay? Yep. Uh, sure. Uh, otherwise, if I send it to them and tell them they can, they'll come back and say, you know, and ask if they can. So put that okay. in there. And yep. I'll be sure they include the information of where it comes from so people find their way to your site. Okay, that'd be great. Great. 
Catherine, I really, I really loved um, your sharing about your ancestral ties to the natural world. I really appreciated that sharing. It, it mirrors my nice experience with my grandchildren. In. Pardon? It was nice that that fitted in. Yes, I really enjoyed that. I have I had similar experiences with my own grandchildren and with the, the children I work with. So in play, so really want to connect, um, bring children back to nature and balance out the time inside and all these safety issues that are currently in the parents have about their kids being out and being free. So really appreciate that sharing. And no child left indoors. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, too, the connection with that topic is the the link with learning and creativity and, and all of the experiential interdisciplinary things that happen in land-based, environmental-based, food-based learning that as a jumping-off point really to learn and teach pretty much almost anything else and sort of trying to think about and work with others who are doing things in this area already, how to how to bring those pieces together for for deeper, more creative learning through the natural world. Sounds good to me. Well, look, thank you both. And... Uh, um, I will. I will also visit the the website and hear some of your other people. Thank, Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.